Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Hey, we've got a few things coming up. Uh, this Tuesday evening, we start The Table, which will be a four-week look into aspects of meaning, spirituality, and we're going to be taking uh, some simple stories of Jesus and kind of unpacking them. We'll start off each week with dinner and have a talk on the topic and a conversation at the table. So make plans to join us. It'll be this Tuesday evening at 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at North Shore Vineyard. Now, it's time to head to the talk. Today, we're doing a message titled, Way of the Groundhog. And in this message, we're exploring the spiritual dynamics of the movie Groundhog Day. So, this one starts off with a trailer. Thanks for listening. Waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Ned! Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck. Groundhog Day! In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bang! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Bill? What? Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But now, we could do whatever we want. He's discovering the possibilities. Don't you worry about cholesterol? Why? And living life Mm. like there's no tomorrow. Phil Connors! Ned! Because there isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, burned, frozen, electrocuted. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. He's out of his gourd. But to get what his heart wants most... What are you looking for, Phil? A date for the weekend? ...means living this day over again, (laughs) till he gets it right. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. (laughs) What a waste of time. I studied 19th century French poetry. La fille qui j'aimerais. You speak French. Oui. Bill Murray. Andy McDowell. To the groundhog. I always drink to world peace. Well, what should we drink to? I like to say a prayer and drink to world peace. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. He might be okay. Yes! Life has a funny way of repeating itself. What did you do today? Oh, same old, same old.
Yes, it's a new thing we're starting. We're going to show trailers for movies that happened 25 years ago before I get up here to talk, you know, just to shake things up a bit. Um, so, before we get into the message today, you know, th- this, this coming Saturday is Groundhog Day, and I realized, you know, I've done messages for Easter and Christmas, I've even done Mother's Day messages, I've done Thanksgiving messages, I... I, I I've done a lot of those, but I've never done the more obscure holidays. And I thought, you know, Groundhog's Day is coming up. I'm going to do a Groundhog Day message. Because that's what everybody's thinking about these days, right? (laughs) We're so concerned about how long winter's going to last in Louisiana. Okay, it's what nobody's thinking about. But six months ago, I did a writing retreat. I've always enjoyed writing. Going back to high school, I wrote for the high school newspaper, and I even had my own underground newspaper called the Purple Haze, where we would make fun of everybody in high school under anonymous names, and I almost got beat up by a few football players. Um, And Back in 2005, I had a blog that I started, and I would write for that blog. And I loved writing, and one day I'd hope to write a book. But I heard somebody, a wise person one time say, don't write a book until you at least get into your mid-40s, lest you have to uh, retract everything that you said when you change your mind on things. Which, for those of you who have not gone through your 20s and 30s, you will notice something about every five years you look back and go, who was that person that thought they knew everything? You just have to experience it. Trust me. And so over the summer, I decided, you know, I want to try writing again. I haven't written much since I became a pastor of North Shore Vineyard. I've been kind of focused on other things. So I was like, I want to actually give this writing a book thing a try. And so I had a couple of small ideas, you know, that I thought, nah, this might be a good idea to kind of pursue. But I just kind of figured I'm going to spend five days writing eight or ten hours a day and just see what happens. Stream of consciousness, see if, if, if something comes to light. Because that's kind of how I write songs and stuff. So I get to the retreat center, and I'm about 30 minutes into writing. And all of a sudden, I start thinking about the movie Groundhog Day. I did not have a copy of it on me, but I'd seen the movie a few times. I love it. I'm a big fan of Bill Murray. It's a great movie. Has every, how many of y'all have seen it? Okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm going to basically reenact the whole movie. I've, I've prepared an a interpretive dance. Uh, no. <laughs> but even if you haven't seen it, I, I'm... I'm quite sure that after hearing today's message, it will actually make the experience better. So it's, I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to reveal everything about the movie today, but hopefully next time you watch it. And I would say, watch it this week. It'll probably be on TNT or FX on Saturday when it's actually Groundhog Day. So uh, watch it this weekend. Um, you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. But So I'm doing my writing retreat, and all of a sudden, I start writing about Groundhog Day. And at first I thought it was just, uh, you know, oh, this is a fun exercise. Two and a half days later in the retreat, I'm still writing about Groundhog Day. And I'm like, what kind of book is this going to be? I have read books that were tied into movies before. You know, I remember back when Lord of the Rings came out, there was a book that was like Spirituality of Lord of the Rings. Uh, You know, and I, I, I even saw a book that was called like The Gospel According to Tony Soprano. I don't know what that one was about. (laughs) But the thing is, with most of those books, they like actually come out within like about a year of the movie's release. Uh, and, and here I'm dealing with a 
comedy from 1993. So I was like, I don't know if this is going to have a market, but I've just got to keep going with it. So I spent the better part of this writing retreat writing about uh, Groundhog Day. And I was just, you know, remembering it from memory. And, and I, it really occurred to me as I was writing, it's like, you know, um, Carl Jung, the, the Swedish psychologist, you know, he, he talks about there's these archetypes within humanity that, that get manifested in the stories that, you know, the, the, the most important stories that we ever, uh, that, that, that become kind of iconic, they, they become iconic because they deal with the archetypes within humanity the, of, of heroes and, and the struggles that all of us go through. And, the, and one reason that the, the great stories are the great stories is because they resonate with this thing that is embedded in human consciousness. And I think that Groundhog Day it kind of functions that way. Uh, have you ever talked to somebody, you go, hey, dude, what's up? How's life going? Groundhog Day. It's become a metaphor for, like, dude, every day is the same as the last day. It's time to make the donuts. We're just going over and over. It feels like I'm stuck. And so I think the interesting thing about this movie is I could, I could write for several days about it without even watching it because it is like a parable. It is something that you could approach from some different angles and you could remember. So... Even though I'm going to talk about Groundhog today, I want you to know that this actually comes out of some, like, I actually spent some time on looking into this. So this is not just like, oh, I need a message. Uh, hey, Groundhog Day is coming up this weekend, uh, and, and we'll do something to pass the time. So today I want to tell you the story of Groundhog Day. I, I showed the trailer because it introduces you to some of the characters. The lead character in this is a guy named Phil Connor. He's played by Bill Murray. And... Phil Connor is a weatherman at a local TV station in Pittsburgh, and he's a bit egotistical. He's a bit full of himself. He's kind of a diva, which is kind of silly when you think about it. He's a weatherman. He's not like a meteorologist. He's not like some famous actor. He's just the guy that gives the weather report, but he thinks he's a little bit better than everybody else. Well, he gets assigned for the fourth year in a row to cover the annual Groundhog Day celebration in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. And he dreads this because he thinks he's better than that. And this is the fourth year in a row. He hates this stupid little town of Punxsutawney. He doesn't want to spend time there. And he gets assigned to cover this event again, and he reluctantly does it. But before he goes out on this mission, he has to do the weather report one last time. And he gets up and he says, yeah, this blizzard that looks like it's coming in, it's going to miss us. It's not going to be cold. That It's going to go north of us. And he concludes his weather forecast that day. And then he gets in the van with his new producer who's been assigned to him, Andy McDowell's character, who is named Tina, and they head over to Punxsutawney. They get there the day before Groundhog Day, and he gets checked into a bed and breakfast because he's a diva. You know, he doesn't want to stay at the local hotel with all the rest of the crew, you know, and the common people. So they let him stay at a bed and breakfast. And then he wakes up on the morning of Groundhog Day. And then he heads to the park 
Gobbler's Knob for the annual Groundhog Day festivities, and he's got a bad attitude, and he hates to be there, and he's sarcastic the way that Bill Murray can be, and he does the Groundhog Day thing, and they pull the Groundhog Day, the Groundhog out named Puxatawney Phil, and, and this is kind of an interesting thing, because I think part of the part that, that he's so resentful about is he's a weather forecaster, and now they're looking at basically a rat to forecast the weather for the next six weeks, and that rat... Puxatawney Phil actually sees his shadow, so it means there's going to be six more weeks of winter, which is actually a contradiction to Phil Connor's forecast. <laughs> this little rat gets it better than Phil Connor does. So they get done with this, and, and Phil is ready to get out of town. He's tired of being in Punxsutawney. He wants to get out as quick as possible. They get on the road, and they run into this blizzard that he said wasn't going to hit. (laughs) The groundhog was actually right. And so they go back to Punxsutawney. He checks back into the bed and breakfast, and he goes to bed thinking he will leave the next morning. But when he wakes up the next morning, 6 a.m., same song on the radio. Except the two DJs on the radio station are saying the exact same thing. Is this just a tape of yesterday's broadcast? (laughs) Or is something going on? Well, he begins to discover as he walks out into the community that something strange is going on. It's as if the same day is happening and everybody else is doing the same things and he's the only one who is aware of it. It takes him a few days to, to figure out that he's actually stuck in the same day in the same town over and over again, but he finally comes to that conclusion. Now, we're never told why in the Groundhog Day movie why this happens to him. There's no cosmic event that is explained or anything like that. We're never even told how long he's there. But if you look at interviews with the director and the screenwriter, they will say they imagined that he was at least trapped in this day for at least 10 years, but maybe up to 35 or 40 years. So this isn't just a couple of weeks. And this is why this movie is so important, because there are probably people here today who feel like you've been stuck in the same day for 10 or 20 years. It's getting depressing up in here. (laughs) So what do you do when you're stuck in the same day over and over and the day repeats? Well, he does what a lot of people would do. There seems to be no consequences. Whatever I do, it's all going to reset. And so the first choice that he does to deal with his reality, or maybe not deal with his reality, to try to ignore his reality, is the path of recklessness, of excess. He eats whatever he wants, drinks whatever he wants. He drives crazy, he has several one-night stands and, you know, gets in trouble, has wrecks, drives drunk, has the cops chase him, you know, he does whatever he wants. Maybe it's for a few months, maybe it's for a few years, but he comes to the conclusion that many of us have come to the conclusion of that the path of pursuing just your own pleasure and your own desires will not ultimately fulfill you. It won't lead you to a place of of meaning. It will lead you to a place of despair. So then he sets his sights a little bit higher. 
this producer that he's been assigned, Rita, she's not bad on the eyes. He kind of likes her. I mean, that was kind of the one high point in having to go to Puxatawney, Michigan. I mean, Pennsylvania. I don't know why. Puxatawney sounds like a place that would be in Michigan to me. Might be. There might be another Puxatawney. But he, he decides he's going to use his ability of being stuck in this day to figure out how to become her ideal man. And so he begins asking her, what is it that you would like in your perfect man? What would he look like? Oh, well, he would be caring and compassionate. He would play music. You know, he would have a good relationship with his mother and all these different things. Not only does he figure out what she articulates as her desires for a mate, He begins studying her behavior. He figures out her favorite flavor of ice cream is Rocky Road. She, when she goes to a bar, her favorite drink is is sweet vermouth on the rocks. He figures out that she wants a a guy who loves kids. And so he's like, I'm going to be this guy. But it's not really who he is. He begins figuring out how to meet everything on her list, and he works at it. And maybe it takes years for him to finally get all these things down, but he finally gets her to go out on a date with him, and it is perfectly scripted, every detail to meet everything that she wants. But the character of Rita in this movie, she symbolizes love and goodness and virtue. And guess what? You don't get virtue from manipulation. To be worthy of that kind of love, you have to to be shown to be worthy. You don't get it by illegitimate means. You don't get it by just trying to fake your way into it. And even though they go on this date and everything's going great and Rita is just blown away, like, it's... My, I never knew this arrogant guy had this other side. He seems to be, you get on below the surface a little, and he seems to like be everything I ever dreamed of. He even talks her into uh, reluctantly going up to his room at the end of the evening, and he's, you know, just trying to get her to go to bed with him. And yet, true love sees through it. She's creeped out. The way you would be. Like, are you, have you talked to all my friends? What is going on? This, too, is another denial of his reality. This, this too, his pursuit of Rita is, is a refusal to face the fact of where he is and actually deal with it. It is another form of escape. See the, the, the interesting thing about Groundhog Day? You know, you got Puxatawney Phil, but the real groundhog in this story is Phil Connor. He's the one who has to come out of the darkness and face his shadow by the light of day. And in facing his shadow, he's going he's gonna to realize it, it's, it doesn't mean just because you begin to face things about yourself doesn't mean that it's over. No, it means you got a long winter ahead of you before you're going to see spring. And after she rejects his advances, even after he's put so much time into trying to be the person that she wants, when she realizes he's just a fake, he's doing it all out of his ego, it crushes him. 
Then he becomes depressed. He becomes even suicidal, as you saw in the preview. There's multiple times where he tries to take his own life, and even that doesn't work. And so finally, there is a pivotal, a pivotal point that he gets to in this story. When he realizes he can't escape the reality that he's in, he finally surrenders and accepts. This is where I am. A lot of people would call that rock bottom, right? Rock bottom is a good place to get. <laughs> it don't feel like it at the time. Hitting rock bottom does not feel like it, but until you get to a point where you can just say, I give up, I let go, I'm done, you'll never enter into transformation. You have to get to that place. And none of us go there easily. <laughs> none of us get there without great suffering. He finally gets there. And... He's not happy, but he's at least accepted, this is where I am. This is the situation. And so he ends up hanging out with his producer, Tina, sometime later. And it's a very different kind of hanging out with her. Now he's not trying to impress her. He's not trying to, you know, be everything. Now he's just, he's a man who has given up on even pursuing love. He can just be honest with her. And so they're in a diner one day, and he says, I'm stuck in the same day over and over. He's like, what? <laughs> no, I'm stuck in the same day over. And he begins to show her, like, you know, he's like, I, I'm kind of like a god here. You know, I'm, I'm, I know something about everybody. I know when this guy's going to drop dishes over here. And he finally convinces her. And they end up spending the day, and it's a wonderful day because... He's no longer looking to this woman to complete him, to answer something within his ego, his false self. He's at least accepted where things are so he can actually be with her without demanding something from her. And once again, they end up in his room late at night. But this time, he's not all trying to seduce her. Now they're just sitting on a bed throwing cards into a hat. He's become quite good at it. And she goes, how'd you become so good at this? He goes, yeah, you know, five hours a day for six months. <laughs> you can learn this. <laughs> the interesting thing, though, the, the real turning point of this movie, it doesn't even feel like a turning point. She says this to him. Because he just shares, he shares with her in his honesty, because he can tell there's a real connection happening. And he says, you know, the sad thing is, in this repeating the day over and over again, he's like, I'm really enjoying this time with you. And there is a spark there now. There is a spark when he's not trying to control her or woo her, get her to like her, like him or impress her. There really is a connection. But he says, you know, the sad thing is, tomorrow morning, you're not going to remember any of this. And she says something to him after that. She says, maybe this being trapped in the same day over and over again, maybe it's not a curse. It just depends on the way you look at it. And Bill Murray responds in the way that only a sarcastic Bill Murray can respond. Gosh, you're an upbeat lady. <laughs> 
You know, I've found so many times in my life, I get into a situation that I'm miserable and things aren't working the way that I wanted and there's unforeseen circumstances that just don't seem fair because it seemed to work for somebody else. Why is it not working for me? And I begin railing against the circumstances and, you know, maybe for years. And when I actually get to a point of clarity, when I actually get an encounter with God, (laughs) I can't tell you how many times what I tend to hear from God is the simplest thing. (laughs) Like, maybe you shouldn't look at your life like it's cursed. Maybe you ought to change your perspective on things. This doesn't answer everything for Bill, for um, Phil Connor in this movie. In fact, he kind of is sarcastic about it. But he wakes up the next morning, and something's changed. He's got a new vigor. The invitation of love is to look at his life in a different way. So what does he do? Well, the first thing you find him doing, he's sitting at the little diner in town, and he's studying works of literature. He starts learning to play the piano. He starts learning how to make eye sculptures with a chainsaw. I think this is an interesting part of the story, which which a lot of people probably wouldn't pick up on. When you are in a bad place, sometimes one of the things that can help you actually get a different perspective is art. Doing something creative. And you may think, I'm not very creative. Well, I mean, even if you just take some woodworking class or, you know, it could be poetry. It could be learning to play guitar. Something that takes you out of yourselves and connects you with something transcendent is a good place to start. Not only that, he stops looking at himself and he starts taking care of other people in the community. And he knows how to take care of everybody in that community because he knows... Pretty much when every bad, bad thing is going to happen. And so when a, a young boy is about to fall out of the tree, he makes sure he's standing there to catch him. He goes to a restaurant where he knows a guy's going to choke on a piece of meat at this point and runs up and gives him the Heimlich maneuver, saves his life. He finds a homeless man who, is, who dies in the evening and he does everything he can on multiple days to figure out a way to forestall this man's death. He spends his life on doing good, not to impress someone, not to make a name for himself, but just because it is good. And something happens in this process. The love that he had tried to achieve illegitimately, the love that he was after to fix something in his soul to to help him escape the harsh reality, the thing that he was looking to this other person to complete in him, now he's been made whole. He's been transformed. His circumstances haven't changed one iota, but he has changed, and that's made all the difference in the world. And guess what? Now he's worthy of the love that he deserved, that that he longed for all along. He's worthy of it because he's not clinging for it. He's not manipulating it. He's not trying to control it. And love comes searching for him. Towards the end of the movie, he gets done with the Groundhog Day celebration. And uh, Tina, his producer, is like, she sees something different. She likes him now. Hey, can we go hang out this afternoon? Sorry, I can't hang out. I got to go take care of some people. He's not even looking at her. (laughs) 
Later that evening, she finds out there's some kind of gala at the, at the hotel, some kind of fundraiser, and she goes to that, and there's a band playing, and up there playing some honky-tonk piano is Bill Murray, uh, Phil Connor. <laughs> he's actually playing quite good because he's probably had 20 years worth of piano lessons. And then they have a bachelor auction that night, and they get Phil up there on stage, and there's a few women bidding on him, and his producer, Tina, she bids over 300 bucks, and she gets him that night. And they end up hanging out. And again, they end up back in his room, and again, it is no seduction. There is a real connection but rather than trying to meet his physical desires or anything like that, he falls asleep. And he wakes up the next morning, 6 a.m., clock radio. But guess what? It's February 3rd. It's a new day. It's a new day. <laughs> and the, the wonderful ending scene of this movie, Phil Connor is standing with Rita out on the steps of this bed and breakfast, the ground covered with snow. And he says, I want to spend the rest of my life with you in this town. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? How much time do we spend trying to change our circumstances or feeling like we are the victim of, you know, like everything's gone wrong in our life? If, if things would be, if, if I could just get a mate, if I could just get a spouse, if I could just get this kind of job, or if I could just work this thing out, then everything would be answered for me. The problem isn't our circumstances, people. The change that's required is not a change in your context, it's a change within you and me. On the front of your bulletin, there is a passage. I am going to share a scripture today, just so this can be Christian. <laughs> Philippians 4, 4 through 13. The Apostle Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. 
but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This last part, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I don't know if how many of y'all remember that Holyfield-Tyson fight back in the 90s. Evander Holyfield, who, who won, won the fight, the world championship boxing match, he comes out and he's got a robe that says Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What did that mean? I can beat somebody up through God who gives me strength. And I got to tell you, the first... The first decade of being a Christian, I was around very charismatic kind of prosperity gospel churches. And this passage right here was, was preached as, you can have anything you want if you just believe it. You can have health, wealth, whiter teeth, fresher breath. Anything you want, you can have it if you just believe enough. And look, hey, there is power to positive thinking. There is power to positive confession. I think there's something to all that. But that isn't what Paul is saying, okay? Because if it was, he's the biggest hypocrite of all. Because guess what? Paul was not writing this in seminary. He was in prison on death row in a Roman prison where he had to rely on the charity of people outside the prison just to bring him food because that wasn't included in Roman prison. You think Bill Murray felt trapped? In Groundhog Day, imagine being in that situation. And what is he saying here? <laughs> whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. You know why he's saying that? Because that's what he's doing, y'all. Even in the midst of a prison, even in the midst of a situation that he can't control, that's not fair. I think a lot, of, a lot of Christians today, if they got locked up in a prison because of their faith, they'd be calling on people to protest and you know, change the, the system and do all this stuff. Paul isn't protesting Rome. He isn't saying it's not fair. You get zero tr trace of resentment in Paul's heart in the letter of Philippians. It's one of the most upbeat letters in the whole Bible. Paul is saying, I've learned contentment. I've learned even in the midst of this, even in the midst of this hell, it can be heaven. What this shows me is Paul ex has experienced transformation. It has zero to do with where you're at in life, y'all. It is experiencing the change that comes from the Spirit in our lives from finally accepting where we are, even if it's something we haven't chosen. I'm sure everybody in here has something in your life that isn't what you chose or what you wanted. I want to share a little story of my life. Back in September 2017, many of you were here back then. Um, you know, Months before we ever planted North Shore Vineyard, we put our condo in Kenner on the market. 
And I had heard all these stories, even from friends of mine, several friends of mine who planted churches who were like, we put our house on the market and three days later it was sold. Hallelujah. And so I was just expecting that package. We put our house on the market and that first Sunday we got an offer that was retracted when they drove around the neighborhood later that evening and saw all the parties going. And that was the only offer we had in nine years. Nine years. And we managed to keep it rented out a lot. And I realized, like, being a pastor and a landlord, they're opposite. You cannot be a landlord the way you are a pastor. As a pastor, you're, like, trying to be compassionate and help people. And that didn't work. (laughs) September 2017, our tenants stopped paying rent. And we had to ask them to leave. and, And they were leaving. And... After they got all their stuff out, I went over to the condo and I spent several days trying to clean stuff up. The refrigerator took three hours. The stove took another, and I didn't even finish it. You know, Dina shows up, you clean this? I'm like, three hours of my life. And I remember being so angry. This isn't fair, God. Why can't I get the why couldn't I get the one like, you know, like we're gonna plant a church and it's you know, it's sold. Why? This is nine years and this situation with tenants, like this keeps happening over and over. I'm like, God, I hate this. Like, can we And after about a week of having a really lousy attitude and being filled with resentment, I showed up one day to start painting because I I got a bid on the painting and it was going to be $7,000. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm painting this place. (laughs) And I'm angry, angry painting. Would have looked like Jackson Pollock if it had been different colors. Didn't look quite as artistic with beige. But I really felt like the Lord said, do you want to keep going around this mountain or do you want to learn something? And folks, it wasn't the kind of epiphany that I've had before in my life. It wasn't some lightning moment. It was about as simple as Rita in his room that night going, maybe you ought to stop looking at your life like it's cursed. It was, it didn't feel like a lightning bolt. And, and, and I think I was probably a little sarcastic as well. <laughs> yeah, look at my life in a different way. Okay, I'll try that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, JC. <laughs> but you know what? I showed up the next day and for the, the month of, of October, that, that fall, I had to help occasionally, but most of the time it was just me, three or four days a week, and I was just painting. I didn't listen to music, I didn't listen to podcasts, I didn't listen to audiobooks, which is very rare for me. I just painted in silence. And I got to tell you, that place became a place that I looked forward to going to. It became a place of encountering the very Spirit of God. 
Can't tell you how many days I'm over there painting. I don't have time to work on my message or anything with the church because I'm taking care of this thing. But I was like, you know, this is reality. I accept it, God. All I can do is show up. And I'd be painting, and God would speak to me. Why don't you talk about this this weekend? That's a great idea. And I'd think about that. And, and I just found that this thing that had got me so sideways in the years before, this Groundhog Day that I was stuck in over and over and over again, it began to change. Not because the circumstances changed, but because I changed my perspective on the circumstances. I'm not talking like just glass half full, glass half empty. But I'm telling you, even, even now, I feel like, you know, you read parables. I felt like God, you know, God keeps trying to get my attention. Like, you know, read this in the Bible, hear the story of Jesus, apply it to your life. But sometimes we can't just read about something. Sometimes God actually has to take us through something so we get it. And I can't tell you how many times since then God has brought me back to that. What are the things in my life that I don't think are fair, that I haven't chosen, that I don't want? This is not my, you know, as, as David Byrne from The Talking Heads, you know. You may ask yourself, how did I get here? This is not my beautiful life. This is not my beautiful car. I don't recognize the song. <laughs> Same as it ever was. We find ourselves oftentimes in a place having to face realities that we never imagined, that we didn't choose, that we wouldn't want. And you can keep kicking against those realities all you want. You can keep fighting them. And you'll make yourself miserable. And you may even think, screw this, I'm getting out of town. I'm going to move somewhere else. I'm going to find a new spouse. Doesn't have all the issues that this spouse has. I'm going to find a new job where I'm not going to have these problems. Guess what? You can change your circumstances, but if you don't learn the lesson, you're going to get another chance to learn that lesson. (laughs) It's the truth. The thing that needs to change is not your circumstances. See, I, I just I felt what began to happen to me back in the fall was like I was showing up to class every day. I accept my reality. I accept this is something I didn't want. I'm, not, I'm still not happy about it. That's the thing. It's not like I got happy about the situation. I just kept showing up to class. And God kept teaching me. So I just want to encourage you today. This stuff that Paul's writing about in that prison cell, it's an actual reality that is available for us. What is the thing in your life today that you think is unfair or you think is, is the, you know, if, if you could just get rid of this one thing in your life, you would be happy. What would it mean to look at that in a different way? What would it mean to look at yourself as not cursed, to see this in a different perspective and to show up to class and say, God, this is not what I chose. This is not what I want, but I accept it. I accept that this is the reality and it may never change. Look, it may never change, folks, but you can change. You can change if you show up to class. 
All right. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> so um, your assignment this week is uh, watch Groundhog's Day this weekend and listen to the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit of God. I want to pray for you. Why don't you stand up? God, give us the grace to let go of the things that we cannot control. To accept reality, no matter how harsh or disappointing it may be, to just take our hands off and accept where we're at. Lord, give us the grace to see our lives in a different way, to look at what's going on in a different way. Lord, let us be people who don't just seek to change our circumstances, but who experience the change that can only come from your spirit in our lives. Give us the grace and the courage to be students rather than people who are trying to manipulate and control. Lord, free us from our resentments by your love by your grace, by your power. Amen. All right, well, God bless. If anybody wants some prayer, come up here to the front. And, uh, and if you're here for newcomers, uh, we're going to take you out to lunch, me and Dina, today. So uh, uh, just stick, stick by, and we'll, we'll get with you shortly. All right.